Hi, I'm Scott Burdall. I'm the CEO of Snowline Gold Corp. We are a newly listed company on the Canadian Securities Exchange under the symbol SGD, and we are exploring for gold in the Yukon Territory. We're targeting big uh, district-scale gold systems, and we're fresh off our first year where we made two discoveries on two separate gold targets. Yeah, thanks for having me, Merlin. Scott, great to great to have you on the on the show. Um, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> Snowline Gold, completely new to me. Could you give me a quick background to how you got here and kind of how you came to be listed and kind of just a, the, the brief history of the company would be great? Sure. So we are a new company. Uh, we listed in March, but uh, we're certainly not a new endeavor. Um, we actually, uh, the, the company stems from my family's and my father's uh, prospecting endeavors that go back into the 1980s in the Yukon Territory where, uh, where we live and where I was born and raised. And, um, you know, we, we've covered a lot of ground in the territory uh, over the past 30 years, uh, and I've uh, been helping out for the past decade and a half in a big way. Um, and we've, uh, we've sort of built a, a private prospect generator, and we've uh, operated in that framework for a long time and had a lot of success that way. But uh, Snowline is our first foray into the public sector. We, we uh, corralled seven of our 21 projects, sort of the, all the gold-focused projects that had uh, what we saw as multi-million ounce potential uh, in in sort of big greenfield, uh, new idea sort of spaces. Uh, and uh, and we put those into Snowline. And so we are launching the company uh, having, you know, and these are these are new ideas, but they're not, uh, it's not like we're just drawing on a map and, and you know, going after it. It's, uh, we've, we've given these a lot of thought and we have a lot of evidence to back it up. And it, essentially that comes in the form of past option deals, particularly in the 2010 to 2012 boom that happened up here and globally. Uh, we had at one point we had over a percent of the Yukon territory staked and optioned out to various companies, and of course a lot of that came back as moose pasture. Uh, but we got good data showing that's moose pasture, so we know not to go there. And uh, but some of the other ideas worked out in uh, in very nice fashion, and we have uh, some really compelling targets that were just handed back to us uh, at uh, our flagship uh, area over in the eastern Yukon. We really stumbled into an area that had seen uh, almost zero exploration prior to our involvement, and. Uh, came back with uh, with huge data sets, baseline geochemistry, high resolution over a large area, like 100 kilometers by 100 kilometers. And uh, and with targets that are uh, kilometer scale, even tens of kilometers scale uh, in this area for, uh, and with with discoveries on surface to, uh, you know, grab samples to 152 grams per ton gold with visible gold. So these things, I mean, it, it's a sign of the times in 2012, 2013, I'm sure many of your viewers have, uh, you know, lived through that and, uh, and understand what was happening then. But just to get projects like that handed back to us, and then we had to keep them on life support for for a long time. So we're we're very happy now to uh, to have found the enthusiasm and found the uh, momentum again to to bring these projects back online and to explore them. Well, I mean, that's that's quite that's quite a history, quite a quite a <laughs> quite a story of you know going back right through to the eighties. Now the Yukon's um, not for the faint-hearted. It's kind of big country. Um, I'd say that having never been there, but just looking at it on the map and looking at the pictures. Um, was was going public was was a lot of that um, the rationale was to get some proper capital behind the company to to fund the exploration and remind me how much did you raise when you when you came to market and kind of what's the cash position at the moment? Um, well, we raised about seven million out of the gate, um, and at the at the moment we are down to uh, around two million, um, but we are uh, in the midst of a raise as well for another seven. So that you know that will uh, ideally uh, once we get all the papers shuffled around put us at nine million. Um, going into next season, so we're positioned to uh, explore quite aggressively again next year, and uh, and to upscale things quite a bit. And as far as the you know the rationale for for taking it public, uh, you're you're absolutely right. 
it's uh, there's only so far that you can take projects on uh, you know when you're when you're going out of pocket especially if your pocket is not particularly deep um, you know you can you can get a project to a certain stage and then the next obvious thing is okay we've proven this target every which way that we can on the surface that's you know it the story holds up we need to drill it and uh, so that's where a lot of snowlines targets are or a lot of targets are on our flagship projects so you know we drilled two this year and I think it it shows that uh, that our surface work was on the right track that we hit two discoveries on these two drill holes or sorry two drill programs. And, uh, and we have a lot more targets out there. So, um, yeah, it's, um, uh, the, the, I noticed that your shareholder register come from the, from the existing shareholder register. You've got a lot of kind of geological expertise on there. You've got a lot of people who are well-versed in the mining sector. Um, they've made a lot of money in the mining sector and in a sense, they've got, um, they've got the ability to kind of have a go a spin of the wheel on a, on a kind of a new, new company with, um, with good big prospects in an area which is highly prospective, looking for big targets. Is that shareholder register changing? Are you getting more people in? I mean, you've had some great successes this year. We'll, we'll get into the detail of the technical side of things, but are you seeing new money coming in saying, actually, hang about, we like what you did, we're joining you? Or is it more still on that kind of geological specialty, that expertise? Um, on on the the new raise that's coming through. Uh, there's definitely a mix. Uh, many, well, all of our, our key shareholders are uh, are coming back, um, and uh, and then we do have a lot of new names that have, have popped up. Uh, you know, one individual contacted me, and he's bought five percent of the company on the private market. So that was, uh, you know, that was great to see that kind of enthusiasm. And I think that the the geological focus of some of our early investments speaks to. Uh, again, the the potential that we see in the in these rocks, and that is sort of easily uh, communicable in uh, to other people uh, who who look at the rocks and who get what we're chasing out there. And so, just seeing that enthusiasm for these ideas out of the gate, I think, is a testament to that. And now, with this first year and these, uh, you know, the, the discoveries that we've made and the grades that we've gotten into, I think that makes it a little bit more appealing to a broader audience. When you see, okay, you know, that's a great story, but these are great intercepts. So we're, you know, we're happy to get behind this now. And so we're, we are seeing other players step in, but certainly we're having a lot of support from uh, the initial investors as well. When I started uh, researching the company, I went to, I think it must've been an old presentation or maybe I, I, I'm not, anyway, I, I saw a presentation that had results up until June, July um, and the first few holds at Ineson and I was thinking of us, oh my goodness, this is, it felt quite like a kind of an academic or a kind of a science projecty approach. And then when I went through the later news releases, I thought, oh, hang about, they're actually onto something here. Um, it would be really useful if you could just, could you sh show me a map of where you are just to put me in context in the Yukon, just so I kind of get, get my bearings a bit. Sure. There we go. Can you see my screen? Yes, I can. There we go. A new light on the Yukon. There we go. That's you. Exactly. Um, and that was, you know, that's really what we're looking to do. We're, we're looking at areas in the Yukon that haven't seen a lot of exploration, uh, not because of uh, a lack of geological potential, but just because the Yukon itself is quite underexplored and there are still uh, huge blank spaces on the map. And so that's where we've been looking and that's where we've been finding some very interesting things. Uh, as I mentioned, we've kind of honed in on one area as our flagship. Uh, you can see the stars on this map are uh, our snow line projects and uh, and uh, there's a cluster of projects out in the eastern Yukon just northwest of the prolific Mac, uh, Macmillan Pass area uh, and, and that's really where we've honed in this year and we, with drilling a, a target the Jupiter target at Einerson and the Valley target at Rogue. Um, I'll just zoom in on that area on a, a subsequent slide here. So um, 
yeah, so there you can see uh, East Central Yukon. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's really a, a, an interesting geological area. Um, it rocks very analogous to uh, the Great Basin rocks in Nevada that have been uh, folded around and intruded by Cretaceous age. Uh, clearly uh, gold associated intrusions that are related to those at, uh, at Fort Knox in Alaska. And uh, here in the Yukon, we have the Eagle mine operating. Um, so these are, you know, fertile, uh, fertile uh, passive margin rocks that are intruded by fertile uh, intrusion. So it's, it's a very good place to be looking. And despite that, uh, particularly in the Einerson area, there was zero gold focused exploration prior to uh, our going in there in 2010. Uh, so a lot of companies do talk about underexplored areas. We have, unexplored areas and uh mm. it it's uh it, it's you know it's quite obvious actually when you step in on some of these targets and for example in the top right of this slide uh that float uh you can see that big rusty quartz boulder uh that thing i don't know the the grade of that particular boulder but these things were running anywhere from you know a half gram to 25 grams so and generally around uh three to seven grams and so these are well mineralized boulders that stretch for about three kilometers down this creek and uh, yet nobody had ever staked this creek before uh, which shows that no economic geologist or no prospector have ever, had ever walked up this creek before so and to uh oh sorry and that's in the jupiter zone is it so that's that's you've got that very strange looking license area and am i right in thinking that you there we go it says on the slide there you've got a controlling 70 percent interest pursuing 100 percent reconsolidation um could you just talk to the um, um, talk to the kind of the process of owning 70% there and then, um, you know, how you might end up with 100% on it. Sure. And, and so, yeah, that uh, that comes back to what I mentioned about uh, optioning out a lot of grounds. Um, that was our business model uh, previously. We were basically a private prospect generator. And uh, and Einerson, we had optioned out to a company uh, that uh, that did a substantial amount of baseline work out there. Um, and they had their own uh, small block that they uh, also explored. And then they optioned a, basically, a, you know, a Luxembourg sized area, like at 80 kilometers by about 60 kilometers of just solid block. As far as I know, it's the biggest claim block ever to have been staked in the Yukon. And, uh, and they, they got out there and they've done high resolution baseline uh, stream sediment sampling, like every 500 meters or every 250 meters down different streams uh, throughout this whole area having samples. And so some targets just light up right away like that. Uh, and under the terms of that deal, they had a, an option uh, to buy 30% and an option to buy 70%. And so uh, they exercised the option for 30% when, you know, when things were happening, times were good. Classic stage turning, they, they, they got the 30%, but they didn't go far enough to get the, the remainder. Exactly. And then, and then the wheels kind of fell off the cart as, uh, you know, they didn't have the, the sort of drill results that we have with having had the benefit to carefully look at their data and then collect our own um, and really hone in on the targets. Um, and so, you know, when, yeah, when, when they uh, let that option expire, we were looking for the next thing to do. And you mentioned the funny shape of, uh, of Einerson and, you know, that's fair. It, it was, uh, it was the largest claim block. It's still one of the largest, uh, but it's probably a quarter of the size that initially was, uh, just due to, you know, our own limited resources and how much we wanted to allocate to, uh, just to holding on to large tracts of land. And so we've been able to basically whittle that down to a more efficient land position where we're covering uh, what we see as, based on the evidence that we have and the data that we have, uh, the most prospective areas, and the most prospective trends. Okay, so you've uh, let, let's let's jump straight into the what you've found. Um, can you let, let's go to the, kind of the end of your drilling program? You've um, you raised seven million dollars. You've put 
five million dollars into the ground in two major drilling programs. Let's let's do Ineson first, and then we can do Rogue uh, after that. So have you got any? Okay. Um, can, you, can you pull up a, a, a slide for me to look at? Way there. I do. Uh, yeah. Um, here, I'll, I'll start with this. It's a, a little noisy, but uh, there's a, a map on the left. It might take a second to kind of digest what you're looking at there. But basically, the yellow in the background is uh, the outlines the zone of uh, anomalous to uh, well elevated to anomalous golden soils. Uh, red areas have uh, anomalous arsenic, and uh, and then there's a little blue plat patch with some antimony there. And that's just uh, you know it, well it's cut by uh, the general fabric going up to the uh, north northwest and. Uh, so this is where we started out. We just had the soil anomaly in the float train that I mentioned. Uh, it's actually a blind target, so very tough to uh, to figure out exactly where to drill. You know, you have some nice soils numbers, but what do you do with that? And to what extent has there been glacial transport, etc.? Sorry, so, so just just for my to get my head around this, um, the main fabric is north northwest. I can see those those inferred structures and. Um, You've even got an inferred regional thrust somewhere. I, I can't see where that is. But anyway, you've got these structures which are running northwest, southeast. You've mm -hmm. got the main gold anomaly, which seems to be lying kind of across it, north-south. And within that, you've got um, arsenic anomalies on the structures. Do you have, um, you know, what's the kind of cover here? How much outcrop have you got? Is there glacial till? Um, is it easy to map? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's not easy to map. Uh, there's a lot of cover. Uh, there, basically, there's a series of outcrops along a, a stream that uh, cuts sort of uh, to the south uh, east of the, uh, the northwesternmost holes there. Uh, if you can follow the topo lines, you can see a few little uh, nicks where the, uh, that form a valley bottom. And um, it's, uh, yeah, the, the cover is uh, pretty thick in places. Uh, you know, I'd say pretty thick, but maybe 10 meters at the most. And uh, uh, generally, you know, two to 10 meters, um, which is, uh, you know, it's not a problem from a drilling or a, a mining perspective, but uh, certainly from an exploration standpoint, it makes it pretty hard to to tell what you're looking at. And uh, and then there is glacial till. And I, I do think that, uh, you know, maybe this is a, a rose colored glass is sort of a view on it, but uh, it, it certainly looks like, especially the Northwest that you get into thick till cover and uh, essentially everywhere west of that stream, um, you have these thick terraces of till that you can just see and some of it's sort of alluvial material that's come down, maybe backed up against the side of a, a broader valley glacier. And so I think that there is a lot of geochemical masking there. So that north-south uh, signature of the geochem anomaly looks to be uh, more of a uh, reflection of the current topography and uh, current erosional environment rather than necessarily the underlying uh, mineralogy. But oh, okay, uh, so, so, so you're effectively saying that it might be truncated to the northwest by that blue shading just because there's glacial till over it, but actually, you as a team think that there could be a continuation up to the northwest, and actually, the, the line to follow is the structure rather than the north south of the, um, the north south of the uh, perceived gold trend that we can see today on this map. That's definitely a strong possibility, yes. Um, and it and, makes a lot of sense with the structures, uh, but, uh, and then, it, and I wouldn't even call it truncated. Uh, I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying, uh, but yeah, it's basically just potentially masked. Um, so yeah, it would continue on up there. And, uh, and then there's just too much till there to really pick up on that. But uh, that's, that's speculative at this point. And, uh, and of course, we're very happy to have the three kilometer soil anomaly that we do have. Uh, this image or the show is about, uh, you know, one and a half kilometers of it. 
Um, I, I meant truncated on the map. I wasn't ass assuming that it wasn't trunk, um, you know, geological continuity and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but um, so the first few holds, which I think I looked at in an earlier presentation, were the ones in the in the um, in that shaded uh, antimony area. But it seems as if your later holds have got visible gold and better grades. It is, uh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, earlier you talked about how we kind of started off academically and things have gotten to be more maybe uh, conventional. Um, and I mean, that was really it. I mean, it was an academic uh, idea. Uh, I know people don't want to fund science projects, but um, but ultimately this is science. We are looking for uh, gold deposits based on what we know. And so we started out with the scientific principles in mind with, with good evidence to back them up. Um, but we, we ultimately had to start somewhere and, uh, and based on you know analogs that we've seen elsewhere, uh, keeping in mind that this is a blind target, so you have this soil. What do you do with it? Uh, and one of the clear sources of this float train was this antimony-rich area. So that's where we started, and we drilled with a kind of a higher density there too, because you you know you put one hole down and you have a very one-dimensional picture of what's going on underground. So if you can steepen that, and if you can kind of get uh, a few holes drilled in, you get a better sense of what's going on. And at that point, you know, not really knowing what we were into or what the potential was. Um, you know, we, we poked around there a fair bit trying to, uh, and we were getting snips, you know, one and a half meters of 1.4 grams and, uh, seven meters of four grams. And so some of those are, you know, getting to be pretty nice hits, but, uh, but ultimately as we decided, okay, we've, we've tested this target, uh, to the extent of our, uh, our abilities this year, uh, let's use our resources to kind of step out a bit and then stepping to the South, uh, Certainly, we got into a much more exciting zone there, as you can see in those figures. And uh, and then, again, with that same rationale, with two holes left on the project, uh, or just within our budget and our timeline for the year, um, figuring, okay, do we want to double down here where we're getting good, good grades, or do we want to uh, step out even further? And uh, and so we did. We you know we went onto a, a totally blind target uh, in that you know there was nothing to recommend where to drill. In the south, we had a, some linear features in the topography, like it was all till covered, but you could see these little linear uh, zones that corresponded to where the directions we thought that the faults would be running there. Um, and in the north, there was just nothing, it was just the geochem. And so it's not something we would have drilled early on, but we decided to, uh, based on the strength of the results in the south, uh, we decided to move the drill up there, uh, just to take a shot while we could. And uh, sure enough, we got into the visible gold and we are still awaiting assays on those holes. Um, and just to... Uh, Thank yeah, to, to zoom in on that, uh, this is that area in the south. Uh, this is a very schematic hypothetical cross-section interpreting the, uh, the intervals, which are very real and not schematic. Um, those are shown in yellow, uh, just grades as a, as a histogram along the, um, along the drill holes. And then these, uh, these red zones are sort of just an inferred trace based on core angles and, um, and uh, well, the, you know, the connecting the dots really between those holes. Um, right. and what it looks like may be happening there, but you can see what we're pretty excited. It's one thing to find uh, a decent grade, like at six grams per ton boulder, say in the stream, uh, that's a meter wide. Like that's a, that's a pretty outstanding thing to find. But what does that mean when you look underground? Does that mean that there's just a single vein that's a meter wide going running six grams? Because that's not going to be very interesting out here. So we were very pleased to see not only higher grades, but also thicker intervals and also multiple intervals, intervals per hole. Um, so yeah, we're uh, we're couldn't be more pleased with what we got into out there. I like the um, I always like a nice simple interpretation. You know, if you've got, it, it, I mean, you could draw all kinds of folds between those drill holds with your mineralized zones, but I I, I do like a nice simple fit 
Um, and those sub-horizontal gently uh, is that, I, I, I can't see what orientation it is, but you know, just gen gently dipping to the right of the page. Um, that that's very encouraging, and it's it, it's quite shallow. So that's you know only down to about 160 meters, 170 meters. Lots of zones of mineralization. What's the plan for next year? Are you um, are you going to continue testing new targets? Are you going to um, increase your drill density on the bits that you've already found? Um, how many meters are you going to be con um, committing, and how much money are you committing to Jupiter? Um, that's a great question, and uh, it really depends a bit on. Uh, I'll just go back to this map slide uh, just for the sort of overview. Um, but it it does depend a bit on what the remaining assays say, and uh, not just here, but also at uh, at our Rogue project, which is at the south of here, and uh, how we want to allocate our budget next year. So some of those questions remain to be answered uh, pending forthcoming assay results. So, uh, but. Um, you know, from where we are right now, I would like to uh, basically strike a balance between those two approaches. Uh, clearly with holes 20 and 21 on the north there, uh, we showed the value in continuing to step out and continuing to prove the scale of this system and, you know, maybe stumbling into uh, additional targets with very high grade zones. Um, we really, we don't want to just get lost in the weeds on, on one little zone and at the expense of missing out on you know, a Murrin Tower or something like that. Um, and so, you know, one can dream. Um, yeah, yeah. And, everyone, uh, everyone wants a Murrin Tower. Exactly. Um, but at the same time, uh, we don't want to, uh, there is a lot of value in doubling down and in uh, starting to find that continuity, getting a better picture of are those folds and, you know, maybe if they, if they are folds, as opposed to my gentle, uh, you know, nice, simple interpretation, uh, maybe that tells us a lot about how to continue drilling and how to continue exploring. Obviously, you know, the majority of, uh, of ore bodies and certainly uh, an ore body in this sort of environment is probably not going to be uh, extremely simple in terms of its geometry. And so uh, the more clues we have and the more the better idea we have of its continuity, uh, that, that does have value. And it also allows us to start to build out a resource. So I'd like to strike a balance where we are uh, where we are testing the limits of the system, where we are looking uh, at how big it can get and, and figuring that out, figuring out what the constraints are, and at the same time, uh, getting more information that we can use to start building it towards a resource and to uh, and get a better sense of exactly what's going on with the mineralization, which will help our stepping out as well. There's, there's always the observation that exploration companies typically start on their best targets. Um, you know, once, once you've compiled your data set and you've got everything to hand, you say, right, we're going to do Jupiter, we're going to do Rogue, we're going to, and then you've got another one, um, what was it called, Tosh, which I particularly liked. I like the, I like the name, I like the, like the assays. Um, and there's also, I, I, I don't know if it um, is the same phrase in Canada, um, but uh, we say that a bird in hand is worth two in the bush. You know, there's, you, you're onto something and it's always worth pursuing what you can see um you've mentioned already that there's a lot of cover that exploration in the area is not necessarily that easy so yes you do want to step out you do want to make sure you're not missing the murantau um but equally you don't want to blow your brains out looking for something when you've already got something no that's uh we certainly do have that expression and uh and i i agree with that completely i, I think there is that balance to be struck uh, both at the deposit or i'm getting ahead of myself at a deposit scale uh and at the um you know, at the regional property scale, uh, because, you know, we did start on our most promising targets uh, and perhaps they are our best targets, but 
uh, we are in an environment where uh, knowing so little going into it or having such a big greenfield area that uh, the most obvious target out of the gate isn't necessarily your best target. And so at Rogue, for example, we're targeting these big, uh, it's a different style of mineralization. Um, what we're talking about are Jupiter, I guess I should got ahead of myself a little bit. You know, these are sort of epizonal or agenic uh, deposits uh, or occurrences. Um, and this looks to be, uh, to us, have a, a, some striking similarities to, you know, what's uh, what's moving the needle a lot in Newfoundland these days, these very shallow uh, quartz hosted uh, systems coming through siltstones, mudstones, and, and sandstones, and these very unaltered uh, sedimentary rocks. And similar also to like Fosterville and Bendigo down in Australia. Um, but uh, just but, but, to go back to, oh, sorry. The, um, Bendigo is famous for its saddle reefs. And in, in, in a way, I could almost see that in your stacked um, uh, mineralized, mineralized zones in that cross section you showed earlier. That could well be. Yeah, we see both uh, both parallel to bedding and cross cutting uh, relationships in the quartz. So uh, we haven't really nailed it down, but it could be uh, sort of a, a hybrid between the two, or it could very well be saddle reefs. So that is uh, to be determined, and, and one of those yeah. things that uh, the infill drilling will will help us figure out. I mean, it's um, it's, it's, it's incredibly early days. Um, I've got a kind of a rule of thumb that just say that until you've got about 40 holes into something, you're not even sure that you're drilling in the right direction, unless it's really, really clear. You know, it can take you a while to work out the fabric and the um, and, and the, all of the structural complexities of an area. And even then, I mean, if you look at um, Hemlo, for example, it's taken decades for them to sort out or to, mm -hmm. to begin, begin to understand the structural complexity at Hemlo. Yeah. So um, you're you're very early in in the, in the process. And remind me, how many you've, you've done? Twenty one holes at Jupiter. And how many assays? How many holes are you waiting to come back? We're waiting for five more holes at Jupiter, including the okay. you know those uh, two in the north where where we did hit the visible gold. So okay, and they um, should be back. They should be back in January, February. I would hope that they'll be back by the end of this month. Um, this being December, uh, and uh, but that's it's a little bit out of our hands. Uh, and then we we drilled four more holes at. Uh, at Rogue, uh, just towards the end of our season. And, um, and, you know, those we're looking to get back in early January. Um, but these are, we're just, we're going on lab estimates. I think they're, you know, they're trying hard to get through a, a pretty huge backlog this year and, uh, hopefully we get them sooner. Um, or hopefully we get them on that schedule at the very least, but, uh, we shall see. Can we have a look at, um, some of the core and some of the, 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 the maps at um, Rogue? Absolutely. And what what uh, was the stimulus behind the drill campaign here? Let's say it was one of the, the top two best looking things uh, at an early stage of understanding in the area. Yeah, well, actually, I'll take that opportunity to jump back to your, uh, your earlier question on, uh, you know, just relating to the best targets. Uh, and this was so Rogue covers an area of these uh, mid-Cretaceous intrusions. And like it says on the slide here, um, you know, uh, similar, very similar uh, intrusions to those that, uh, that are causing mineralized systems at Fort Knox and at Eagle, uh, so you know, multi-million ounce producing deposits. And, um, and Valley is, it's a newly discovered intrusion. Again, it's about a kilometer in scale. So it also highlights the, uh, the unexplored nature of this district is that it doesn't even show up on the existing geological maps of the area. So, uh, you know, that's a pretty big feature uh, for an outcropping intrusive to uh, just to be missed altogether. And not only that, but, you know, you go look at it and you can see in the bottom right here, this uh, this sheeted veining, and so it uh, when you start to sample that and you get nice grades, uh, we had grab samples of the sheeted veining running up to 16 grams, 
Um, and uh, nearby, there are some higher grade sulfide rich structures that you see around the edges of these intrusions and other systems. Uh, those were assaying up to 152 grams. Um, and so, you know, this is, uh, is a pretty low hanging fruit in terms of an obvious target to drill. That said, uh, these systems are often uh, the most fertile uh, at, the, at the highest reaches and they, they'll form sort of a brittle carapace that later fluids come and, and break up. And, uh, and that can be, you know, you can have very big uh, systems without that, uh, but you also get into, uh, well, when you do have that intact, it makes for a very attractive target, but it also makes for a harder target to explore. And so at our adjacent Gracie target to Valley, uh, we do have what looks like an intact carapace. There's no mineralized, or there's, sorry, there's no intrusive outcrop there, but you do have the horn fells. You do have a geophysical signature consistent. And so you have this sibling intrusion. You can see like, this is Valley and the erosion level comes down to where we can explore it. Uh, Gracie's here and this whole carapace would be intact. And we're just seeing the top of that. So, uh, so that would be more difficult to explore without the justification of finding something at Valley. Um, and you, but you've got indications at uh, the other one, sorry, Valley and- Gracie. And so, and as you're saying that there's a carapace at Gracie, but, um, and are there, what can you see at Gracie? You know, are you, are you, are you seeing some mineralized structures? Are you seeing um, the geochemistry? coming through. We are. Uh, yeah, there, there is good looking geochemistry there. Uh, we're waiting some of our more comprehensive geochem that we've done this summer. Uh, it's in the, in the assay backlog with everything else. Um, but we do have grab samples there that assay up to 56 grams per ton gold. So, uh, again, looking like, uh, you know, there is gold kicking around through there and then, uh, and then you do see, uh, intense horn fells. So that's that, you know, that's when you get the sediments that are just cooked by nearby heat source in, in a relatively low pressure environment. Uh, and so the only way that that's really happening is if there's something right below it, that's heating it up. Uh, yeah. and also from our, from some of the regional geophysics we have, if there's a clear indication that there is an intrusion there as well. You mentioned, um, the Eagle mine, which is, um, a heat leach, uh, operation. Um, I don't, I can't recall what the grade is, but when I hear a heat leach, I think it's kind of bulk tonnage, low grade. Um, you, and you said that, um, Valley is kind of a one kilometer across intrusion, which makes me think that it's potentially bulk tonnage. Have you got any indication of kind of what grade, um, I know you haven't got the holes back yet, but uh, are you looking, is, is this a bulk tonnage low grade 0.5 to one gram a ton target? Um, or, you know, have you, have you managed to adjust your thinking on it thanks to data? Um, it is, but uh, that's sort of the baseline. And one thing that really excites us about this area is these very high grade structures that cut through um, and so you do have these big, uh, sulfide bearing zones that, uh, that, that assay like, uh, you know, consistently, uh, in the tens of grams and often ounce per ton to up to the, uh, you know, 152 gram figure that I've uh, thrown around a few times. Um, so these are, these are some nice, really high grade structures. And, uh, so what we're looking at is, you know, at the, at the base level is yes, a big bulk tonnage, multi-million ounce deposit that could be that could be uh, workable out here. And that might be, you know, in the, in that 0.5 to, uh, to one gram per ton range, depending on how, uh, how big it is and what the geometry is and so on. Um, but we're also looking at the potential for these sweeteners. And, uh, if you have that as your baseline and then you get into, you know, every once in a while you get into a meter thick zone of, of ounce per ton stuff, you know, that's really going to, uh, improve the economics of a project. And is the, it's a great carried, I know it's early days and you haven't got the, your core back and you haven't got thin sections back and all of that stuff. You haven't done your petrography. Um, but 
do you feel that the grade is just in the in the sheeted veins, or is there disseminated mineral, mineralization in the intrus in the kind of the matrix of the rock as well? Uh, so specifically talking about these targets at at Rogue uh, and, and the Valley target here, uh, based on what we have seen uh, elsewhere, uh, or you know, based on other models that are or other deposits that are similar to this model, such as uh, Fort Knox, such as uh, Eagle. Um, Yes, it, it's basically these veins that carry the grade through relatively barren, uh, intrusive, and uh, and host rock. That said, the Hornfels, you know, you could have chemical reactions with fluids there that uh, that you might get into some grades uh, in between the veins as well. But that's uh, at this point, that's speculating. So it's a it's a fracture density game. You know, it's a it's a, it's the intensity of veining which is going to be driving the overall grades. That's right. The intensity, of course, the the grades of the veins themselves. Yeah. Good. And um, the the core you've seen. Uh, so how many, you, you filled five holes, is that right, at Rogue? Uh, four. Four holes, and um, you got some VG. I mean, and that, that was presumably in the little vein, that's not in the... Do you that's do you that's right. That, pull that sure. slide up again, let's have another look at that core. Yeah, uh, so this was, you know, this was a very nice surprise. So we knew that the sheeted veins were there. Um, we... We still don't know their extent. Uh, we have good evidence that they uh, extend for a, a pretty long area, about 900 meters plus, uh, based on the geochem and based on some of our surface observations. Uh, but we didn't know that the uh, width, yeah, uh, probably, well, the geochem only is at least 150 meters. We've seen them over that width. Uh, it could be, could be wider than that as well. Um, and again, it's, it's sort of similar to the Jupiter target where you have this, uh, uh, you know, some exposure in the valley bottom, you get these big U-shaped valleys with glaciers. And then as you get towards the edges, you kind of get uh, uh, till and other uh, cover. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're looking at, uh, oh, sorry. Did you drill across, did you dr drill across that sheeted package? Uh, so we did, uh, yes. Um, two of the holes were going more perpendicular to the sheeted veining and two of the holes were uh, they were still cutting across it. Uh, you can see the angle uh, in these uh, holes. It's not perfectly perpendicular, uh, but uh, they were targeting uh, structures on the edge of the intrusion as well as the sheeted veining themselves. And uh, and yeah, going back to the to the visible gold, you're right. It is in the veins, um, and uh, it's a it's a nice surprise. I, at this point, I don't want to lean on it too heavily. Uh, of course, it's always great to see gold in your drill core, and we weren't expecting to see. Uh, gold in the drill core, but uh, it, it remains a grade and density game for these veins. So uh, we're, we're very excited to see both the visible gold and we're very excited to, uh, to get these assays back when they finally do come in. And um, if you get comparable kind of gram meters to here, I'm just going to pop this down a bit just so that we, if you get comparable gram meters, say um, in, a, in, your, in your rogue valley drill hole, to your what's the anus anus and um, Jupiter drill hole? If you get, mm -hmm. let's say you're going to do an even split, just for a hypothetical basis, mm -hmm. does that um, does that mean you've got a a target zone? So let's let's say the the Rogue Valley is mineralized. Does that mean you've got a target zone which is as long as that sheeted vein structure is long and as wide as that sheeted vein structure is wide? That's a good question. I would say. Yes, uh, but it would, uh, you know, we would certainly have to uh, drill that out to prove it. We can't, you know, we can't just say, okay, the veins go here and here, and we got this hole through, and there's no. our resource. Um, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But I'm talking okay. about targets. You know, that's something that you'd want to test because if, absolutely, if you, if, you if, if the few drill holes that come in, then you'll want to test the rest of it. Absolutely, yeah, um, and yeah, and that's what I was getting at uh, 
earlier on when you were talking, when you were asking about the, you know, how are we going to allocate our resources next season? Um, you know, a lot of that allocation does depend on how these holes look when they come back. Um, and uh, yeah, and the other nice thing is that uh, in these systems, typically these uh, these veins do go quite deep as well. So that's obviously the third factor. Um, but yeah, it's nice to know that in in other uh, deposit environments, you can you can keep hitting them uh, down to well great depths. So we'll see how low in the system we ultimately are, but we're uh, we should have uh, a ways to go. Well, and of course, everything depends on those results, which uh, hopefully will be out in a month or two. Um, now, we all know that exploration is hit. Um, or miss. Um, and um, so far, we know that Jupiter's hit. Uh, we don't know quite yet whether Rogue Valley has, because even though we've got the, the, the or even though you've got the visible gold, you, you can't be sure. Um, but you've got a pipeline of other projects. The one I particularly liked was Tosh. Can you tell me a bit about that? Mm -hmm. please? Uh, yeah. Uh, so Tosh is, and let me see if I have a slide on that right here. So Tosh is down in the Southwest Yukon uh, it's similar to, uh, well, in a similar geological setting to the white gold district, if, uh, if you know, for people who know the Yukon and its exploration history, uh, but it's, it's outside of the white gold district. So it missed that big, uh, rush uh, apart from us, uh, using some of our resources from our other projects to, to go and explore here ourselves. And, uh, we've found, uh, you know, several interesting geochemical anomalies. And so this is, a another orogenic gold target. This would be deeper, uh, you know, you, you have higher metamorphic grades and kind of more typical of what you'd see for a, uh, for an orogenic gold target, but it's, uh, it's really a, a, a large area. We have about 15 kilometers staked there, uh, along a trend where we're seeing, uh, multiple, uh, geochem anomalies, uh, up to two kilometers long, uh, where you're having these, uh, gold and multi-element soil anomalies, and then, uh, and some really interesting grab samples that are coming off the surface. So, uh, we've also done a, a little bit of geophysics out there, uh, VLF, basically ground uh, electromagnetics that really does seem to pick up on some of these structures well. Uh, it's a an under, well, it's never been drilled, uh, still fairly early stage, but uh, some really, uh, we're basically, you know, at that similar stage that we were at with uh, with Rogan Einerson. We just had to choose where to focus. Um, Tosh actually nearly came out as the flagship company for, or flagship project for uh, for several companies who are interested in it. And uh, we opted to keep it as a, um, a sort of a uh, hedge, you know, if they, if the Einerson and Rogue uh, projects yeah. didn't work out or if they don't work out, uh, but we'll, you know, we, so we continue to have that hedge and we want to continue to advance Tosh uh, without spreading our resources too thin. And then it's, uh, you know, it's either a hedge if, if for whatever reason, uh, things up to the Northeast don't work out or, uh, you know, if, uh, if things continue to, to go well up there, then we could start to look at different ways to extract value from this, whether it's a JV or a sale or, or something else altogether. So just by way of explanation, Scott's yeah. had a few, um, internet issues. Um, we've decided to kind of crack on because I've only got a few more minutes, uh, left of questions, I think. Um, and we've decided to proceed with, uh, Scott, uh, just on audio and no video. So the, the, the question I wanted to ask you was, talk me through your, um, the expense of operating in the Yukon and how much budget you're gonna have and how much, how much meterage you're gonna be able to drill and how much progress you're actually gonna make next year in what is, I think, a pretty short field season. Well, um, yeah, I guess one of the expenses of uh, working in the Yukon is uh, unreliable video feed. So uh, there's some of the costs right up front, but uh, certainly, um, yeah, I think that a lot of the uh, the expenses 
that are associated with working in the Yukon. There are uh, higher sticker tags on a lot of things, but the those are more than offset by the opportunities that we have in the geology here. And I think when you look at uh, successful projects here, the, the dollars per ounce uh, are really quite competitive on a global scale. So, uh, and especially when you look at terrain like we're looking at that is uh, underexplored to unexplored uh, and with the with the caliber of targets that we're stumbling into, it uh, it certainly makes a, a cost competitive uh, argument for doing what we're doing, which is why we're doing it. Um, as far so the, as you know, exploration, so, oh, sorry. So, so, so what you effectively mean is that the um, the cost per meter is high, but the um, the ounces discovered per meter is also high. That's correct. Yeah, um, and then you can also go down into the you know the rabbit holes of uh, which we have gone down into, and uh, and like what we saw uh, of land holding costs and, and so on in the Yukon. You know, to to hold a similar uh, piece of ground in Nevada, not only would you basically not be able to find something so perspective and so big and, and acquire it, but if you somehow did, uh, you would be paying over, uh, I think about $1.6 million US uh, just in your claim maintenance fees annually. And so, you know, that goes a long way towards a towards drilling, towards helicopter and so on. Uh, whereas in the Yukon, all of that money that you put into drilling and put into helicopter goes into the ground. So, uh, you know, so we have something to show for that first 1.6 million. Uh, we have a lot to show for it. And uh, whereas in Nevada, that would just be money off the table every year on a property package this size. Okay. Um, um, in interesting. And yeah, and I'm not, not, not trying to skirt your uh, initial question there um, about, uh, you know, our plans for next season, which I'm very excited to talk about. Uh, we are looking at uh, doing uh, about 10,000 meters of drilling out there next season. Uh, we should be, uh, yeah, well, plenty of cash in hand to do that and to do meaningful surface work um, and uh, while advancing our secondary targets uh, around both projects. Scott, I wish you every luck with it. Um, I'm going to watch for those news releases with great interest when they come out either later this year or early next year. Um, good luck with the capital raise and uh, hopefully uh, we'll get you back on to tell us more about uh, various uh, discovery and exploration uh, successes in the future. Fingers crossed. That, uh, that sounds great, Merlin. Um, thank you very much for taking the time and my apologies for the technical issues on this end. I'm not sure what's going on with the uh, internet up here today, but uh, yeah, it's great to chat and uh, uh, I look forward to the assays as well. Thanks for having us. Good stuff.